Hello homies. So today's a bit of a different one. It is an interview with just one of my absolute homeopathic heroes, Dr. Isaac Golden. Now he's also the co-founder of the Health Australia Party and there is voting starting in Victoria here in Australia on the 13th of November, so only a few days time. So I have literally just come off the interview with Isaac. I'm going to pop it straight onto the YouTube channel. So if you want to watch the full video on there, you can. So just go onto my YouTube channel, Eugenie Kruger Homeopathy. You'll see the full interview there. Um, and just chucking it straight onto the podcast right now for you to listen to. So it's hot off the press, zero editing, straight here for you to listen. Please share this far and wide. It is so important that Australians know that even though Health Australia Party is a, a small party, that even if they can just get one member elected, it's going to be able to make a huge difference. So share this far and wide. Isaac has said that this will be the last time that he stands for elections. So uh, if people are not rallying behind him, he's not going to be doing this again because it is a huge amount of work. You know, they are understaffed, under resource they don't have the finances to play along with the big boys but they are working their butts off to actually make a difference in Australia for the health of the people for the health of the land for the health of the economy so you know the tiny little bit that we can do is just to get off our butts and go and vote number one for the Health Australia Party so I hope you've enjoyed the interview share it far and wide thank you for listening Hello homies and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today we get to speak with a wonderful gentleman that needs no introduction, the one and only Dr. Isaac Golden right here from Australia. Welcome Isaac. Thank you very much Eugenie. It's lovely to be back again and uh, back at what's a very busy time for me leading into yes. the November election. Well, we're in November now so it's probably three weeks to go getting close. I, I don't know how you do it all. And today our topic is going to be a little bit different. Well, it's kind of, it does involve homeopathy. It involves natural mm. medicine and all of this, yeah. but you are also the co-founder of the Health Australia Party. Um, and you announced that you're going to be running in the Western Metro region of the upper house in the Victoria election for the Health Australia Party. Uh, and it's only a few days away. So what, uh, why are you doing this, Isaac? Because I know that you are a super busy man. I'm sure you're not doing this by choice, but tell us why, <laughs> why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through this extra hassle? So Eugenie, I co-founded the Health Australia Party back in July, 2015. And for me personally, the main reason for doing that, as you say, it wasn't because I wanted to be a politician, but it was because I felt that we needed politicians in both the federal and the state parliaments around Australia to, to stand up for natural medicine. Because in this country, natural medicine has been under attack for decades, but particularly since 2005, uh, when there was an infamous article in The Lancet, which was later, I think, withdrawn. It certainly was discredited about homeopathy and that led to a parliamentary inquiry in the united kingdom it led to a the formation of a a very anti-natural medicine group in australia inappropriately called the friends of science mm. in medicine <laughs> well their first uh, thing that they said they were going to do was to stop teaching natural medicine and researching 
Well, that's not what science is about. Science is about evidence and openness and people talking about their differences. And that's exactly what these people don't want to happen. But unfortunately, they have had a great deal of influence politically mm. as well as financially. And so once they were formed, there were certain things that happened, government inquiries, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which were totally inappropriate. The NHMRC did an inquiry on homeopathy, which was contested and is still, after years and years and years, is still not being resolved. Mm. And the inquiry was, from a scientific point of view, was very weak. And in fact, people could rightly claim that there was a distortion of evidence. Let me put it very, very politely. And uh, that's still ongoing. So in 2015, uh, there were five other folks who all supported natural medicine, and we decided to have a crack at it. And we were told we were doing it the wrong way around. So instead of starting at the bottom and working up, we started with the federal election back in 2016 and have been working downwards ever since. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, there were things that happened um, in that early election. One of the, the people who co-founded, unbeknown to the rest of us, was had suddenly discovered the vaccination issue. I mean, everyone else sitting around the table knew about it. Mm. And so he started releasing very erratic and inappropriate posts on social media. And he got the uh, number one draw in his state, which turned all of the media attention on him. And then mm. the media from then on has come out and said, the Health Australia Party is an anti-vax party, and we're not. And we might talk about that later on. Mm. We actually took that eventually to the Press Council of Australia and won. So hopefully, at least in that part of mainstream media, uh, you don't hear that accusation. But look, you know, it's amazing timing of all of this. I have literally about half an hour ago put up a new post on the Health Australia Party Facebook page addressing this exact question about whether we are an anti-vax party and, and showing evidence that we're not. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line for us was that we saw health as not just being a single issue to do with healthy people. And for those who look at the Health Australia Party webpage, you'll see we rest on five pillars. So healthy people is one of them, but healthy environment, healthy economy, healthy mm. democracy, and healthy society. And without those five things, you can't really say a country is healthy. And so we, when we uh, took on this, we took on the title of Health Australia Party. We wanted it to be known in the broadest, most holistic sense. But of course, not everyone does. In fact, I heard the other day someone said, oh, they're a health party. Oh, so they, they support pharmaceuticals, do they? <laughs> well, no, no, we don't. <laughs> and the pharmaceuticals certainly don't support us. We've and they don't support health. Fun. They support um, no. suppression. They don't support health. <laughs> in fact, mm. one of our major uh, things that we talk about in this election campaign is that we don't want a system of medicine that is a disease management system. Mm. We want a health creation system 
because the system of medicine in, in Australia at the moment and in most developed countries around the world is a disease management system. And of course, that suits the pharmaceutical drug cartels down to the ground because they make money out of disease. Mm. And, you know, people say uh, on the media and uh, in the health bureaucracies of this country that we have one of the best health systems in the world. But the problem is we have one of the best emergency medicine systems in the world. No two ways about that. I mean, I stand in awe of the doctors and nurses who work in our emergency mm. medicine clinics. But we have in Australia one of the highest rates of chronic illness in the world. Mm. And you cannot say you've got a, a world's best health system if you've got one of the highest rates of chronic illness in the world, it, it just isn't right. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and so this is one of the things we've tried to do right from the start is to show people that actually our health system, as it's called in here, which is really our disease management system, mm. is dominated by the pharmaceutical drug cartels in every level of the system from the education of doctors and nurses through to the filling of uh, hospital pharmacies, through to the health bureaucracy and through to politicians. Mm. And I know some people probably think, oh, you know, he's exaggerating, he's anti-pharma, so that's what he's saying. But this is evidence-based by the Harvard um, Law School back in 2013 they released a series of articles. I think it was 16 articles in a law journal. And I mean, Harvard Law School is one of the most prestigious law schools in the world. Mm -hmm. They set a group of experts a five-year task to analyze the effect of pharmaceutical corruption on all of the things I just mentioned, but also on patient groups online, on doctor groups online, all of these things, everything has been infiltrated by the, the pharmaceutical drug cartels. And for anyone who really cares about medicine and honesty and, and genuine science in mm -hmm. medicine, please have a look at that study. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the great failures mm -hmm. is transparency in research and, and informing honestly the populations in every country what really the, the state of health is. Uh, it's just so sad. And so mm. I thought and others thought if we could get some, a few people in the federal parliament, in the state parliament, maybe we could make a difference by talking to parliamentary colleagues one-on-one, -on -one, face to face mm. and say, look, you have been misled. Mm. You have not been told the truth. And of course, over the last two and a half years with uh, COVID, this has been shown more than ever before mm. to be the case. We had talking heads every night on the TV, every day on the, in the newspapers and on the radio, talking about all this stuff, which was really just quoting from the pharmaceutical playbook. And the thing that upset me most about our response to COVID was from day one, back in February 2020, we were told by 
our experts, by our leading health professionals, that there was no method to prevent COVID and we didn't have any treatments. And that was a lie. And doctors in America in particular and in Europe, they published enormous amounts of evidence talking about how they were treating COVID patients over there. And, and really simple things like if we'd given elderly patients in our nursing homes decent vitamin D supplementation, and that's really cheap, mm. the death rate would have been a fraction of what it was. The admissions to um, emergency wards in hospitals and going on ventilators would have been a fraction of what it was. Wow. It's that simple, that inexpensive, mm. and that's why the pharmaceutical drug cartels are opposed to it and are trying to stifle honest discussion about all these options because they don't make money out of that. Mm. They can't patent vitamin D. Mm. They can't charge in, you know, thousands of dollars a month for it. Mm. But yet something as simple as that would have made an enormous difference. And then you had contentious things like ivermectin. Now, I don't know if you remember, but oh, what was it, six, eight months ago, something like that, maybe uh, yeah, about six or eight months, we were seeing on our TV sets every night horrific photos from India and New Delhi in particular, bodies lying in the street, you know, mass uh, cremations of bodies. And the, the figures for COVID had just took off massively. And then all of a sudden, we stopped hearing about it. And when you look at the data, and I'm talking about the orthodox data that's available, you see they took off and then all of a sudden they went right down and the, no one talked in the media here about why. Mm. And the reason why was that about six or seven states, including uh, New Delhi in India, authorized and aggressively used ivermectin in wow. their population. Once again, an incredibly cheap form of medicine that's been used for decades and decades it used to be really well promoted by the WHO. Of course, they changed their tune a bit when, it's, when their uh, pharmaceutical controllers told them to. But that's what saved in India. And there were a few states that wouldn't allow it initially. And you could see the spike was still going in those states. And in the state next door, it had gone. So there was so much information. Now, mm. this should be the task of politicians mm. to come out and, and do their own independent research. Don't lis listen to the, the talking parrots from the pharmaceutical drug cartels who are mm. just squawking on the same thing all the time. Politicians should have the intelligence because they've got the resources, they've got people to help them to do their own research in critical situations like this and mm. come out and say, right, this is not good enough. You know, we have wasted billions and billions of dollars and we have lost not lives unnecessarily. Mm. And more importantly, even, we've put whole families and, and whole populations through severe emotional trauma. And so many young, not always young, mm. so many small business people Mm. have lost their businesses so or they've had to, to go into massive debt mm. all unnecessarily. This is what where we're coming from. Mm. And this is what we believe is important. Now, I know for some people this sounds outrageous. For some, 
major political parties, it might sound outrageous, but it's the truth. And we have evidence for everything I've said. Mm-hmm. So, Isaac, do you, is Health Australia Party all about health or is, is it about making people healthier, all about health? Is that like the main thing that you embody or is there more to it? Well, as I said, the, um, that we have those five pillars. Mm. So healthy people is enormously important. But as I said, so is healthy environment, mm. economy, democracy and society. I mean, this is our big problem with the Greens. The Greens really don't like us because ever since Di Natale took over the leadership of the Greens, they became extremely pro-pharmaceutical. And the problem we have with the Greens is we agree with them on most of their environmental policies. Mm -hmm. There'd be very little disagreement. If you look at the Health Australia Party environmental policies, I mean, we have right from the start opposed the pollution of this planet by, well, in so many ways, Mm. Uh, but particularly, you know, you think of plastics, for example, apparently somewhere in one of the oceans, there's this massive island of plastic waste that's almost the size of Tasmania. I I couldn't believe it when I heard that, but the currents all bring it into the one spot Mm. and there's this massive floating garbage dump. I mean, that sort of pollution of the planet is horrific. And the cutting down the destructions of old growth forests Mm. and spewing out pollution into the air, which causes all sorts of things. You know, some people think environment is only about global warming. It's not. It's about a whole range of other things. And whether the planet is warming or not, some scientists say yes. Some scientists say, no, I don't know the answer, but I look at the, for example, the melting ice caps. And to me, that's more important than a graph that goes this way or that way, because if the planet warms, the ice caps are going to melt. And if you're in a small island, uh, you know, in the middle of the ocean, you're going to be losing land mass. And that Mm. appears to be happening to me. That's worth those pictures are worth more than a thousand words, Mm. but we are, genuinely concerned about the loss of our natural species, the loss of our, um, you know, beautiful wild forests, all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. and the pollution. So the thing that I have a problem with, with the greens, they say, Oh, don't put pollution into the environment, but they're quite happy to put pollution into our bodies. You know, mm-hmm. once again, ever since Dean Natale took over from Bob Brown, who I thought was an, a wonderful old chap. I always used to vote greens. Uh, when Bob was running the place, uh, he was a, a real doctor who understood holistically that we're there's so many parts of us that need to be dealt with. The problem I have with the Greens now is that they don't see that. They are quite happy to put toxins into the system. You're just not allowed to put it into the environment. Mm. We believe both. <laughs> you don't put it into people or you don't put it into the environment. But the economy the society and democracy is so important as well. Mm. So, yep, you can't have one without the other. Uh, That's the truly holistic approach. Looking at Mm. those five pillars, that's what we believe anyway, and that's Mm. what we stand for. 
And what about some other issues that I'm sure the Victorians are going to be asking about, like things like cost of living and, you know, democratic rights and freedoms and, you know, especially after COVID, I think that's going to be on everyone's mind. So what's, and it feels like cost of living is going crazy at the moment. I just can't believe, you know, how prices are rising, but um, what's, what would you say to the Victorians asking about that? We actually uh, have got a little slogan uh, for this a three-word slogan for this election. It's freedom, prosperity, health. Mm. Freedom in terms of democratic rights, freedom to choose. Mm. Prosperity, and that comes to your point about the cost of living. Mm. You see, I, I strongly believe that we live in a country that inherently is extremely prosperous in so many ways. You know, we, we have minerals uh, galore we're very blessed like that but also we have the ability to grow all our own food Mm. and share food with the world and clean green food well unfortunately it's not as clean as it might be because there's a lot of fertilizers used which i just love and this comes back to the environment of course i love farmers who have actually made a stand and said, we're not going to use chemicals anymore. Mm. We're going to um, actually do it naturally. Mm. And it, it's hard for the first few years, but apparently after that, they not only save a huge amount of money and not having to pay for chemicals, but their livestock, if they're growing livestock, mm. are healthier, they have less disease. And their whatever grains or crops they're growing have less disease as well. So it's a win-win. And if, I mean, we would love to really champion something like that if we got into parliament, because that's really the greening of Australia back from, Mm. uh, you know, the the mass uh, destruction that our species has caused on on a lot of the place, unfortunately. Mm. But in terms of prosperity, I mean, you're so right, Eugenie, the, the cost of living is becoming intolerable for many people. A lot of people, these days, they spend half of their income on rent. And so that leaves very little for healthy food, mm. for be able to have a bit of socialization and relaxation. If they've got children in particular, mm. you know, the cost of schooling and all that sort of stuff. So we believe that Australia at its heart is potentially one of the most prosperous countries in the world. And we want to return to prosperity for everyone. Now, I'm a small business person, let me declare that, and I don't want to pay any more tax than I have to, but I'm happy to pay a fair amount of tax. When I look at multi-multi-millionaires paying a few thousand dollars a year tax, that's Mm, wrong. Yeah. You know, and dear old Kerry Packer, the late Kerry Packer used to be very proud of saying, I'm only paying what I have to. And he paid a huge amount of money Mm. to tax specialists to make sure he paid as little as possible. Well, I don't think that's the action of an honourable person. An honourable person should be happy to pay a reasonable share. If you've been blessed with a certain income, you should be happy to share a a reasonable part. Mm. The the problem I have with some far left-wing organizations who say you know you've got to put back massive tax rates is that if a person works really hard if they take a lot of risks with their 
mortgaging their house, for example, then they deserve, if they, if they get some rewards from that, they, they deserve those rewards. Mm. They've earned them. The thing that we're really against, and I think most of the major parties are now, I certainly hope so, is this, these multinationals who make massive profits here and then through very clever tax accounting, move most of those profits overseas. And therefore in Australia, mm. where they got their money from, they're not paying their fair share of tax. And so that's one mm. of the first things I would fix. That's dishonorable action. And, and that needs to be stopped. And that would make it quite a big difference. Mm. Um, obviously, we want a balance. See, this is the thing we learn when we're studying natural medicine, isn't it? Health is about balance on every level, mm. mental, emotional, physical. Mm. And it's the same in every area of life. If you talk about tax, which sounds one of the most you know, mundane things, uh, materialistic things you could talk about, Balance is still the key word. If we have a balanced tax system, which is fair, then the wealthier people will be happy to pay what's fair. And that will contribute more to the economy than if they feel they're being treated unfairly and therefore pay expensive tax agents to try and save them having to pay what they think is unfair. Now, you know, it's complicated. We don't want to go down the rabbit hole there. But balance in all things. And that means that no Australian, like dear old Bob Hawke, I'll never forget the day he came out years and years ago and said, no Australian's going to live in poverty. Well, what a wonderful aspiration because he mm. didn't succeed. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't succeed is because the distribution of wealth in this country is going to few and fewer people as it is around the world. Mm. And that's wrong. And if you look at what happened over COVID, we saw that certain companies made massive profits. Obviously, the pharmaceutical drug cartels did, but certain individuals and certain companies made massive profits while other companies were being driven out of business by lockdowns and mandates mm. and all that sort of stuff. So we need balance in the distribution of wealth. So that's not a communist idea. Mm. It's not a left-wing socialist idea. It's a it's a healthy idea because it talks about balance in the economy and mm. we can talk about every other aspect democracy and society like that as well that's the thing with our society we've well our, our mighty leaders have created a two-tier society a society that's divided and that's politician from left wing and right wing so i'm not picking on any one particular mm. party here uh, it's been something which our political leaders have tended to do. And COVID has made that divide worse. Mm. We have to, once again, get back to a position of balance where Australians are Australians. They're not Australians who do this and Australians who don't do that, mm. whatever the division might mm. be. And that's one of the things we're very passionate about as well. And democracy, to me, you know, hundreds of thousands of Australian men and women have fought and died for our democracy. And yet it's taken, it's not taken seriously enough by many leaders in this country. And we have to change that. Mm -hmm. We have to come back and say, right, if you want to impose restrictions, you can't do it in an unlimited way. 
you can't pass a, a piece of legislation and, and that's what it is for all time. If you genuinely feel that certain restrictions are needed because there's an emergency, for example, then you go to the elected people in parliament and you ask for a, a, the minimum amount of time necessary. Mm. You know, that would have made a lot of difference. But we've come out of the last few years with certain, uh, in certain states, with legislation, which is the antithesis of mm. democracy. Once again, balance. We need a, a balanced democracy. That's the healthiest one. Mm. It's just unbelievably scary. And sometimes I'm like, is this actually even real? Like, how do these people think that they can get away with what they're getting away with, forcing us to have medical procedures done to our bodies? <laughs> like, <laughs> It just, it seems so surreal. If it wasn't that I'm living this life, I would think this is all just like a bad horror movie that, you know, the past couple of years, like who in their right mind ever can be so egotistical to think that they have the right to tell another human what they can do with their body. So I'm guessing this is something that you, that the Health Australia Party feels strongly about that, uh, you know, Look, it's not going to be we, forced. We do. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we certainly don't believe in mandating mm. uh, invasive medical procedures. Mm. It's a little bit tricky when you're talking about um, the whole population because, you know, the, a lot of people were and still are living in fear mm. over the last few years. And that fear is being prodded still by the so-called experts. I was shocked the other day to see one of the well-known talking heads uh, appear on the TV and talking about, you know, how dreadful everything's going to be. And the person was wearing a mask, sitting alone in their home recording stu studio <laughs> or office, wearing a mask. Oh, now, my gosh. You know, what message is that other than trying to keep fear going? Yes. And this is what we object to. Look, um, I have no problem if someone wants to wear a mask, if they feel that they need to do that to either protect themselves or protect other people. I, I mean, there are hundreds of or orthodox medical articles in peer-reviewed journals saying it actually doesn't do as much as people say it does. But then... On the other hand, you can say, well, look, here's an article. There's an article saying it is really good. Mm. I mean, apparently the, the P95 masks were originally designed to prevent dust inhalation. Well, the size of a virus is so much less than a yeah. particle of dust. Yeah. It's a different thing. But that's by the by. If someone feels that that's the best thing for them to do, I don't have a problem with that. And I would never you know, point the finger and say, what a fool mm. to that person. They might have a case of the flu. They might have a common cold. They don't want to be spreading things around and, and that will reduce it to some extent. And so that's fair enough. But mandating procedures when we are not allowed to give informed medical consent mm. is really a problem. Mm. And when it comes, as we all know, well, we don't all know, sorry, as when it comes to, as a few people know, informed consent involves revealing the whole truth about the, the procedure or the, and or the product mm. which you're being asked to undergo. If you 
don't know the truth. And if the doctor who's talking to you doesn't know the truth either, mm. and most doctors have not been given full access to all the data uh, from you know the, the different vaccines, for example, if we're talking about that, mm. then you can't make informed consent. Now, you probably are aware, and most of you listeners probably are, that uh, Pfizer asked for 75 years yes delay oh, yeah to release all the data about their vaccines 75 years in other words they wanted everyone who's alive now just about to be dead <laughs> before they released the data and fortunately uh, a, a, a justice in the in america prevented that from happening and and they're being forced to release the data now and it's quite different it shows that there was a lot of information there that they didn't share mm. and not just with you and me, they didn't share with medical researchers. They didn't share with doctors and professors of medicine around the world. Now, you see, I think that's wrong. Mm. I, can't, I can't understand how any ethical, intelligent person could say that that is appropriate action by these massive companies that are uh, you know, making profits. Mm. Trillions from, of dollars of profits. Know, selling stuff. Mm. Absolutely. But it's more the ethical side and the, the real science side. And one of the things that I've talked about quite a bit on the little posts I've done on the Health Australia Party uh, Facebook page is the difference between the science and real science. Mm. Now, we've been forced to listen to the science for years and years. And even prior to COVID, by the way, we constantly heard that phrase, the science. You know, these people who are asking questions, then they're not obeying the science. Mm. But that to me is always a warning whenever someone comes along and says, the science says, because science is meant to be open. It's meant to embrace all evidence. It's meant to question. If someone comes along and says, what about this? Mm. Instead of preventing them from talking, real science says, oh, I hadn't thought about that before, or I don't like the sound of that, but if you can give me evidence to support what you've said, I'll look at it. Mm. You know, that's real science. One of the best examples in my life I had of real science uh, came from my Cuban experiences. And the president of the Finlay uh, Institute. She uh, resigned in 2015, I think, but she'd been president for a decade or more. Um, Dr. Uh, Concepcion Campo Huego. <laughs> Everyone called her Conchita. <laughs> well. That's why I had to think about her name. <laughs> um, she was a real scientist. Now, mm. uh, the Finlay Institute in, in Cuba um, makes vaccines and they sell vaccines to South America and to Africa principally because they sell them at a very reduced cost to governments that can't afford very expensive vaccines. Mm -hmm. And But it's not that they're second-rate vaccines. I mean, they're world-leading. They were the first institute to develop uh, a vaccine against meningococcal type B, which is the most prevalent strain in Australia. And parents mm -hmm. have to pay extra amount to get it. They, they had that decades ago. Anyway, uh, Dr. Campa was visiting Brazil where they sold a lot of vaccines. And she 
looked at all the data that the Brazilian doctors gave her and she said, okay, so the, the effectiveness is not bad, it was 80 something, which is not bad for a vaccine. And she said, but look, in this province, they're getting well into the 90s. What's, what's happening? Hmm. And, you know, one said, we don't know. So she went to the province. Now, remember, this is a, a, a doctor whose job was to make vaccines for Cuba and for, for you know, a lot of third world countries. Hmm. So she was definitely not anti-vax. Mm. And she went there and she said to the doctors there, why are your figures so much better? And they said, well, actually, we're also giving them homeopathic immunization. And she'd never heard of it before. But being a real scientist, and this is what I mean about real mm. science, she went back to Cuba and when the, and she tried it out on a small leptospirosis outbreak. Uh, sorry, a small hepatitis, I think it was hepatitis A mm. outbreak. And she saw it worked. And then in 2007, the country was hit by some very severe hurricanes, particularly in the east of Cuba. And so she then uh, got the vice president, uh, Dr. Uh, Bracho, to, to go there, have a look, to come back, to have a look around the world and say, okay, it worked in Brazil. Can we use homeopathy to to stop this outbreak of leptospirosis in the three Eastern states. Mm. And I didn't know anything about this at the time, but he looked at what was available and he came across my work and they based their, uh, the, what their potencies on what I'd been doing and published. And then in 2008, an even worse set of hurricanes, I think they had three severe hurricanes in a row, and the conditions were absolutely shocking. And leptospirosis carried through standing water, mainly by rodents. Mm. So the reason why the, the hurricane season was a problem is because there's a lot of standing water. But, I mean, you look at all the floods in uh, New South Wales and in Queensland in, and in Victoria, there's standing water everywhere. So, you know, it's a risk, even mm. here. And uh, what Dr. Bracho did at the Finlay Institute, they put aside a lab. Remember, this is an institute that manufactured vaccines. They mm. put aside a lab and they worked flat out for two weeks making a, a medicine homeopathic immunization to give to 2.2, over 2.2 million people in those regions. Mm. They did that in 2007 and again in 2008. And the figures in 2007 were published first in the journal Homeopathy. And, and the improvement was based around a predictive model, which meant that, you know, people could question that. In 2008, it wasn't based around a predictive model. We had data for the rest of the country who weren't given the homeopathic immunization mm. and the three provinces on the east that were. And we were able to make a comparison. I, one of the trips I did over there, Bracho and I spent two weeks sitting in one of the offices in the lab, uh, working on this data. And it, it was published in homeopathic links or quite a few years ago. Mm. It's unambiguous. Mm. Blind Freddie could see, and even pharmaceutical executives could see, mm. that's the problem, that we made a massive difference because the rate was higher in the provinces that weren't as badly affected by the hurricane than it was in the provinces that were affected 
worse by the hurricane, but were given the HP. Mm. So it was a perfect control group. Now that came about because of a real scientist, mm. Dr. Huego, who said, okay, this is something I don't know anything about, but I've seen evidence that it works. Let's try it. That's real science. That's if we just, just had people like that running our, our scientific institutes in Australia, mm. we'd get somewhere really quickly. The incidence of chronic disease in this country would be significantly lower. But instead, unfortunately, people are taking their marching orders from the very corrupted institutions in America, mm. which are leading medicine in America. And that's why um, we have similar sort of disease rates, chronic disease rates as the Americans, because their system has been corrupted for longer than mm. ours. But it, it can be undone. Mm. You know, it just needs politicians, honest politicians mm. to see the truth. And that's what I was really hoping could happen when we started the Health Australia Party, mm. uh, to, to see honest politicians get the truth. And eventually there'll be enough honest politicians to say, okay, we've got to do something about this. Mm. And, you know, it's, there's so many more examples one could give, but that's one of our goals. Truth, real mm. honesty in medical evidence. Mm. Well, Isaac, from what I know about you, you are a man with incredible integrity and I cannot think of anyone else better to, you know, give us some light at the end of the tunnel than you because you are integrity personified. So um, I think the people need that as well. I think people need to have, you know, give have somebody give them a little bit of faith in the politicians again, because everyone just knows that, you know, they're just all bought. This doesn't matter who you really vote for because nothing's really going to change anyway. So how do you, I mean, if Health Australia Party being a smaller party, if even like one or two people get in, do you think you can actually make a difference? That's a really good question. And uh, by the way, not everyone thinks I have integrity. I've got <laughs> I've been badly attacked in certain areas and it's starting to happen again. Mm. Uh, once, you know, I made the announcement that I was running already, there's been things that have come out and, um, you know, false information being published. But anyway, look, that's mm. par for the course. You just, I mean, you, you knew, you, you knew that that was going to happen again. I know with all your, you know, oh, decades yeah. of work that you've done that you have had so many attacks already. So it's always always yeah. sad, it's always sad the type of people that do those sorts of things. Why don't you you know they can go out and go make yeah. the world a better place, but it's easier just to sit back and uh, you know try and badmouth somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, in terms of can a small party make a difference? Well, of course, it depends on who holds the balance of power in the upper house. And if you happen to be holding the balance of power in the upper house, yes, you can. You can make a very big difference, or more likely. If, if there are a number of like-minded people, small parties who collectively mm -hmm. hold the balance of power in the upper house, then yes, you can make a difference. And, and I mean, to me, if that was the case, it would be an absolute blessing. It's why uh, this preferencing system in Victoria, some people criticize it and say, oh, you don't end up with democracy. You get people who win a tiny first preference getting elected. But, I mean, they wouldn't get elected unless a whole lot of other parties had also supported them, mm. meaning that even though they might have started on a low um, mark, they ended up 
with enough of a quota to be elected. But the thing is that if you only have the four major parties in a parliament, you don't have genuine democracy. As it is, you know, Labor and the Greens are one block and Liberal Nationals are another block. So really, you've got two blocks. And it's like the American system, you know, with the Democrats and the Republicans. In fact, I had an email from a, a colleague, homeopathic colleague in America this morning, and she was bemoaning the fact that they've got their elections there in a bit over a week, I think. Uh, and there's only two parties to vote for. That's not good enough. Mm. I mean, at least nominally we've got four, but really it's two blocks. Mm. Uh, but to have minor parties, and as one of the my greatest disappointments with uh, Malcolm Turnbull when he was pr prime minister, that he was the one who stopped the options of the, the minor parties getting elected in the federal parliament. Now, of course, if someone comes along with $20 million and puts that in, like happened in the federal election and the, the Teal candidates got elected because of that money, well, that's, you know, that's one thing. But in Victoria, you can't do that. And I would rather it wasn't that way anyway. I don't want necessarily politicians in the parliament to be uh, there as a consequence of because some uh, multimillionaire or billionaire thinks it's a good idea. Mm. But it's better than not having them there. That's all I would say. Um, and, you know, I've seen, for example, in the federal parliament, uh, Pocock come out, Senator Pocock come out and give some really good talks. And, if, you know, he's, he's a, a person who's not a politician at heart. He's a was a, an amazingly good rugby union player. He was captain of Australia. Tough guy. Really, really tough guy. And I hope he uses that toughness in Parliament. And, you see, he was holding the balance of power at a, for one of the votes there. So, yes, a single person can make a difference. But I'm hoping, of course, if I got elected, for example, that I'd be able to work with a number of like-minded parties, mm. not to block for the sake of blocking, but to hold whoever's in power, whoever wins after November the 26th, it'll probably be Labor in, in Victoria uh, being re-elected, but you know, no one knows until the day. Mm. But whoever wins, not to block everything the government tries to do, but to say, okay, well, we think this is good, mm. but we don't like this. Let's talk about this mm. and see if we can improve it. That should be the aim. Mm. And you yeah, don't hold them get accountable, that. hey, for whatever decisions they're making. And yeah, absolutely. Keep, keep them honest and yeah. keep them accountable. Absolutely. That's, mm. that's why small parties, I really hope, do well in this election. Uh, however well we do or don't do, I really, really hope that smaller parties get a decent level of support and therefore do have a say in the next Victorian Parliament. But it'll be a tragedy if they don't. Mm. Now, for people like me who are not very politically minded and would like to support you but get really confused by this upper house voting system and how they vote for you, can you just like do a voting for dummies section <laughs> for Absolutely. us on how people can and vote for you and how, they, how this all works? <laughs> It's really, really easy. We only have a, a couple of candidates running in, I think, three or more lower house seats. And in the lower house, you just number, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever number of candidates in the order you want. That's simple. You've got to number everything in the order you prefer. 
But in the upper house, you're faced with this enormously long bit of paper uh, with a whole, I think, I don't know if it's 27, someone mentioned a figure, something like that, of different parties. So it's a long, complicated looking bit of paper. It's actually quite easy. You've got a choice. You can either vote above the line. So you've got a line where with all the party names and below the line, you've got the individual candidates for each party. And above the line, you've just got uh, the name of the party with a box. So if, for example, you didn't, you didn't want to make uh, your own personal choices about preferences, you just put a number one for Health Australia Party above the line, that's it. It's that simple. And if you want to actually be in charge of your own preferences, then what we ask people to do is below the line, we've, we've got two candidates standing in every one of the eight upper house regions. You just number one and two for Health Australia Party. And then you've just got to number another five candidates. You can number the whole list if you want to. You actually only have to number five in total, but I always say number us one and two plus another five means you've, you know, you're numbering seven. You're not going to get into any trouble about uh, not numbering enough and therefore you vote not counting. Because if you don't number enough, and you're voting below the line, your vote doesn't count. Okay. And and that's really important. That's why I always add a few more on just to be sure. And that's where you can look at all the other parties. Uh, and if you like, you know, this, 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 and this minor party, fine. Number them three, four, five, six. But then I usually recommend to make the maximum out of your vote if you have a preference for Labor or Liberal or National or Greens, give them the last vote. Because what that'll mean is that if none of those small parties that you've numbered before gets elected, at least you'll be able to give a preference to the major party that you want to win. So for me, that's the, the simple way of doing it. But... Um, if you just want to do number one above the line, then each party, I think it's on the uh, 13th of November, by then they have to lodge their preferences. And then those preferences are published. And, and look, I'm not doing the preferencing for Health Australia Party. One of my colleagues is doing that. And I don't even know what they're doing at the moment. It's so complicated and it's changing all the time. You know, every now and again, I get a call from, from him and say, I've just spoken to so-and-so and so-and-so is doing this and we're doing that and somebody else is doing something else. You know, it's very, very complicated. So I, it's a blessing for me not to have to do that. But if once the preferences are published, if you don't like the preferences that we've given and we're giving it for a particular reason to try and get the best preferences back that we can, then you can number your own preferences. Mm. You know, if you're happy to put just one above the line, then your vote will count because we're numbering every other party. So your vote will somewhere, will it'll come to rest somewhere. <laughs> so you're not going to get a zero vote. But um, if you just want to number one of the majors at the very end, that will mean your vote will count, even if you only number six or seven boxes mm. below the line. Did that make sense? That actually made sense. I feel like I almost understand that. <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> very proud of myself that that makes sense. So who else have Good. you got standing for the party? 
Well, my daughter, Lane, <laughs> who you know, yes. um, is standing as my number two candidate Yay. in uh, Western Metropolitan Region. I'd, I've got a sneaking suspicion we're the only father-daughter combination, uh, which is really lovely. And she's mm. been a great help uh, to me. Uh, look, we've got a whole range of different people. Uh, they're not all natural therapists, but we have a number of homeopaths and, and natural medicine practitioners standing uh, either in the first position or the second. Look, the, the honest thing is that whoever's number two uh, in a particular region is not going to get a seat. Mm. It's impossible. It's mathematically impossible, unless you're Labor or Liberal, basically. But for a small party, if you get number one, that's a blessing. <laughs> mm. So a, a number of people have put their hands up to be number two candidates very generously. They, they don't know they're not going to win. Um, we don't have the resources to go out and, and mount a massive campaign. We don't have the volunteers to be going around to everyone's letterbox, um, mm. putting polluting you know, messages yeah. in there yeah. or standing on all the booths, giving hand about, handout cards. We're going to focus on a, um, a strong social media campaign, which started the other day. Uh, and of course, Murphy's law always applies with um, social media campaigns. I went last Sunday, I went and recorded uh, six or seven interviews um, with a, a young friend of Leia's, very nice young man, mm. uh, with a very nice camera set up and everything looked beautiful. And we heard the sound. Oh, oh no. The microphone wasn't working. Oh. And so we thought, should we put it out or not? And because it was hissy and echoey mm. and no, the advice was don't put it out. So I'm now having to do them at home one at a time and releasing them. And we're also releasing a whole lot of posters, one every second day, something like that. So if people, the, the biggest help people can give us is to look at the Health Australia Party Facebook page mm. and share. I've been, mm. I, that's, I don't do social media, but I've been told if people share things, <laughs> it gets it circulating a lot more. It does, so and please, it's more environmentally friendly. Like instead of like littering a bunch of flyers everywhere, like you're like doing it online yeah. is the best way to go. That's where everyone is anyway, and it's more environmentally friendly. <laughs> so thank you very much for helping, uh, you know, get the message out. It really is appreciated. You know, we really are the only party that's dedicated to natural medicine. Mm. We're not just dedicated to natural medicine, as we talked about earlier, because there's the five pillars, the economy, environment, et cetera, are so important. But mm. we are the only party who really understands health. And even though many of the other minor parties have their merits, um, if people are concerned about health, about their freedom to choose mm. the, the forms of health care that they want, but also looking at health in a truly holistic sense. You know, we are the party that will stand for that. And it's not just naturopaths and homeopaths, et cetera. It's also integrative medicine doctors mm. and, of course, chiropractors and, and other people. But so many integrative medicine medical practitioners have been attacked recently and have, don't have the freedom to do mm. what they want to do with their patients. That was the beautiful thing about the Cuban system. The doctors there, they could use pharmaceuticals, they mm. could use herbs, homeopathics, nutritionals, whatever, whatever they thought was best. Mm. You know, we could learn so much from that. Mm. And also in the Indian system, 
where they've got the, a ministry of Ayush, which is effectively the mm. ministry of natural medicine. If you combine the Indian, that aspect of the Indian system and the other aspect of the Cuban system, you've got almost a perfect system. We and can only dream, hey, but I mean, that's, I, that's you know, what I keep trying dream. to work towards, mine too, and that's why I do this podcast, yeah. just inspire enough people. But, you know, even if Health Australia Party can help us to be able to claim uh, our, from our private health funds for natural medicines, which was taken yep. away from us on, you know, I always think it was the 1st of April, you know, April Fool's Day 2019 that uh, that stopped <laughs> of all the days of the year. It wasn't a joke. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a joke, a very, a very cruel joke. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, if even help with that. I mean, is there anything? I, I love what you stand for. It's so it's so true. You know, that it's not just about our our health and our health choices and our sovereignty of our bodies, but also the health of the economy and the health of the land. And that is the truly, you know, what we want to leave as a legacy for our children and what they yeah, deserve, absolutely. and we owe that to them. Is there any final message that you leave our listeners with, or is there anything else that you want to clarify about anyone who associates you as, you know, an anti-vax uh, well, organization? I've, I've talked or... enough of, yeah, I've talked enough about the anti-vax. We're mm. not, um, if people want to go have a look at my post on the Facebook page tonight, or look, look on our website, we've got uh, the menu at the top. Vaccination is one of the pages that mm. drops down. Look there. If, if you, if you feel that there may be some substance behind the anti-vax. But my final message, Eugenie, is a very serious one, and a little bit of a sad one, actually. And that is that um, I've been doing this for seven years. If we don't get someone up this time, I don't think the Health Australia Party will probably keep going unless a group of really active and and energetic people come along and say, look, okay, you guys have, have done your stint. Mm. We're really happy to take over because, um, you know, it's a huge effort when you've hardly got any support where you don't have any major funding. I mean, the people who have helped me along the way and have become my friends and colleagues along the way have been wonderful, you know, amazing. But uh, a couple of them who have been the major players in previous elections. Uh, they've started their own new businesses and, and their ability to, you know, give as much of time and energy as they used to is, is much, much less. Thank God uh, that a couple of other people have come along and really helped in a number of uh, ways. And I, I'm so thankful for them because without them, we wouldn't be running a campaign at all. Mm -hmm. But we've reached the point where if one or more people are elected, that's a, the, the game has changed. That will give us the ability, give us the resources mm. to actually get back out to the other states and get back out federally again. Mm. If we don't get someone elected, that could be, this could be our final attempt. Mm. So I hate to say that because it's something that is very dear to me, but you've got to be realistic and, mm. um, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I cannot so, even yeah. begin to imagine the amount of resources, time, stress. I mean, like, why would you choose to take on this nightmare when, you know, I, 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 you are just absolutely amazing for doing what you're doing, Isaac. And I really well, I applaud you. And thank, thank you so, so much. But 
I, I hear what you're saying. People need to rally behind this and get serious about standing up for their own sovereignty and, and their own health. And all yeah. they have to do is go tick a box. It's really not that hard. You're the one doing all the hard work. So I really hope people, you know, get off their butts and get out there and, you know, vote for you. So thank you and very share. much for your time. And, and share, share <laughs> on everywhere you can. Share, share away. It's worth, you know, yeah. Thank you. And uh, thank you, fairy gets their wings every time you share. <laughs> yeah, so definitely share. Okay. Thank you so thank much, you Isaac. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye. All the best.